So I am a child of the 1990s and um, I went to high school and college in the 90s and I cannot read Mark chapter 13 without thinking of the band R.E.M. Because simply put, Mark 13 is AKA the end of the world as we know it. So Mark chapter 13 is apocalyptic literature. Now, when we think of the apocalypse, we often think of in astronomical terms or cosmological terms. We think about the end of the universe, how planet Earth will cease to exist um, or how the sun will die or something like that. And indeed, in apocalyptic literature and scripture, those images are used and often used in the future tense. But that's not what's going on. Apocalyptic literature in scripture, from Daniel to the revelation of John at the end of the Bible, and also in the Gospels when Jesus speaks apocalyptically, or um, those are rooted in what is going on now. The authors are writing about what is going on now in their time for their people in their context, their audience at what's going on around them at that time. And we are, should interpret them as what's uh, in, con in the context we are in right now. Um, there's a great book um, about this that is by Anathea Portier-Young. She teaches at Duke Divinity School and she's one of the probably you know, top-notch uh, scripture interpreters and scholars out there right now. It's called Apocalypse Against Empire, uh, Theologies of Resistance in Early Judaism. So she's talking about Second Temple Judaism, um, the, the Judaism that Jesus grew up in. And so this is kind of you know, important for us to understand. To, in understanding Jesus, it's important to understand the Judaism that he grew up in and what the apocalyptic literature like Daniel and the um, non-canonical uh, apocalyptic writings that were floating around at the time, how did that affect? How did that affect or um, influence the religious practice of Jesus's day? So, great book, highly recommend it. Um, but on to the thirteenth chapter of Mark. We begin with Jesus and the disciples coming out of the temple, and they say. Uh, you know, look how these great, big, wonderful bu buildings. Now, remember, these guys are from Galilee. They're country bumpkins. And here they are in the big city, and they're just wowed by everything they see. And um, Jesus responds to them, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. Now, we remember that Mark's gospel is written between 60 and 70 A.D. In 66 and 70 A.D., excuse me. Uh, in Galilee, while Israel is in open rebellion against Rome. So there's a question here, is Mark reporting on the fall of the temple? Has it already happened? Or is he predicting the fall of the temple? And is it imminent and about to happen? I think uh, that Mark is predicting because of what we get later in verses 14 through 19, 
when Mark kind of gives a lesson of what to do when Rome puts down the rebellion. Uh, one of the themes that Mark is, is writing about is how does the Jesus movement survive amidst this open rebellion against Rome that's going on around them? Rome's fighting, the guerrilla warfare of Israel is going on around them. How does the Jesus movement survive through all of that? And in verse 14 through 19, Mark gives a pretty overt argument and instruction for retreat and go and hide and then regroup and, and reconsolidate and then go back out and engage again and build this social order um, that has been, been talking about through the whole uh, book of Mark, the one that's you know marked by diversity and equality and shared leadership, the things that Jesus has done to feed the hungry and heal the sick and get the blind to see and do all of these things and keep doing them. But it's okay to retreat. Um, and that is a method that Mark kind of argues for as to survive the fall of the social order around them, the collapse of the social order around them, um, that, that it's okay to hide, basically. Um, uh, we see in verse 14, he says, but when you see the desolating sacrilege, sacrilege set up where it ought not to be, let the reader understand, that's in parentheses, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. Those in Judea must flee to the mountains. Okay. Desolating, desolating sacrilege. I think this is a callback to what prompted the Maccabean revolution a couple of centuries before. Uh, the Maccabean revolution is where the practice of Hanukkah comes from. What sparked that revolution was a Roman governor putting up a statue, if I remember, if memory serves, a Roman emperor or governor put up a statue in the temple, a statue of Caesar in the temple. Now this, obviously a graven image in the temple, um, really uh, was offensive to Jews. And it, it sparked this revolution uh, and eventually the Maccabean dynasty for a little bit. And this was a couple of centuries, a century and a half, two centuries before Jesus. Um, and now they're in a period of revolution again. And there's plenty of evidence and plenty of precedence for Mark to believe that Rome is going to put down this rebellion by uh, Israel with the harshest of means. There was precedent for Rome using scorched earth techniques and, and extreme extremities, um, going to extreme ends to put down rebellions in areas that they had already conquered and re the reconquest of places they had already conquered. So Mark's not going out on a limb to say, hey, this rebellion's not going to end well. How does the Jesus movement survive? Well, if you're in Judea, flee north to Galilee, to the hills, and hide. And then we'll regroup. And just like Jesus uh, retreats to the tomb after the crucifixion, and then we get this empty tomb at the end that is a prompt to, for the mission to continue on um, and, and go forward. So I think that's what Marcus prescribing in those verses or encouraging at the very least at the end though at the end of the chapter in verses 32 through 37 but about the day or hour no one knows neither the angels in heaven nor the son only the father okay so 
in scripture, in, in Christian tradition, there's been lots of people who've tried to predict when the end of the world was going to happen, when Jesus was going to return. And I just don't think that's what this is about. In fact, he's pretty, pretty clear saying, no, you're not supposed to be worried about when, but be about the work of creating this new community with the fierce urgency of now. Um, the parallel story to this in Matthew comes up kind of close at the end of the church year. We just heard it a few weeks ago. And then this text is the first Sunday of Advent from Mark in year B, which we're in right now. So we've heard this recently and you've heard me talk about it. This fierce urgency of now, and we're supposed to go about building the kingdom of God and being disciples of Jesus with that kind of energy that you have at the end of a football game. You know, more, more points are scored at the last two minutes of the of a half of American football than any other time in the game. Um, that's the urgency that last 10 yards of a hundred yard dash, the, the, you know, finish the race with a sprint type urgency of building this alternative community. That's what I think this is about. Um, and so when you hear some Christian I use that word loosely, Christian preacher going off about how the world's going to end in 2027 or whatever. Ignore them. Run away. Uh, it's just not, it's just not a good interpretation of scripture. But I want us to keep reading. We've got chapters 14, 15, and 16 uh, going forward. We're getting down to the end of this, y'all. Keep after it. Keep reading. Keep thinking. Keep looking for these markers of discipleship, these markers of belief, these markers of community that are in the text. And please, please remember, God loves you more than you can possibly imagine.